Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. This is a CBC Podcast. I am so happy you're here. So happy it's the end of the week because it's the day that we get to talk about the biggest arts and pop culture stories. Look, the internet has been upset about the nominations the Barbie movie didn't get. Today on the podcast, did Barbie really get snubbed? The group chat is here. Let's go. I'm Alameen Abdul Mahmoud. This is Commotion. Okay, so the Oscar nominations came out this week, and one of the big nominees was this guy. I'm just kidding, and I'm enough, and I'm great at doing stuff. Hey, check me out, yeah, I'm just Ken. That is Ryan Gosling singing I'm Just Ken in the Barbie movie. Frankly, I think this song should win Record of the Year at the Grammys, but it will settle for Best Original Song at the Oscars, Ryan Gosling also picked up Best Supporting Actor a nomination as well. Look, Barbie got eight nominations. It got eight nominations. That is not a small amount of nominations. It's one of the most nominated films of the Oscars this year. But it did miss out on Best Director for Greta Gerwig and Best Actress for Margot Robbie. Let me tell you, the fans have not been quiet. Even Hillary Clinton uh, wrote a consolation tweet to Margot and Greta saying, quote, you're both so much more than enough. The group chat is here to talk about this Oscar drama, and we're going to start with Barbie. Kathleen Newman-Bermang is here. Rachel Ho is here. Rad Simon Pillay is here. What's up, everybody? How's it going? How's everybody oh. feeling? Hi. Oh, hello. Hello. We are going to get... post-Barbie snub day. <laughs> I don't think that's a day on the calendar, but I love that that's where we're starting. <laughs> we're going to make it a day on the calendar today. <laughs> oh, my God. Bank holiday, I, basically. I can tell where you, where, you are, where you are on this even before we start. I mean, okay. Fine. Let's get into it. Kathleen, the disappointment for Barbie has been kind of inescapable. You know, Greta Gerwig gets a nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay, not for Best Directing. Margot Robbie gets a nomination because she is one of the producers of the Barbie movie. So she's literally up for Best Picture, but not for Best Actress as Barbie. Kathleen, how do you feel having seen the level of outrage that you've seen all week? Go in. <laughs> I'm just going to take a deep breath and just start with some of what you just said that's wrong with this outrage, all right? Okay. As you said, both Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie are nominated for Oscars. Let's make that clear. They are nominated. The movie as a whole is nominated for eight Oscars, including America Ferreira, who is nominated for Best Supporting Actress, her first ever nomination. So this outrage over two white women not being nominated in two categories that is somehow being framed as this like horrific slight against feminism is quite frankly offensive to me. Because let's talk about intersectionality. Shout out to Kimberly Crenshaw, who came up with that term. We have spent years begging and educating white people on thinking about feminism through a more inclusive lens mm. and to remove their own ignorant biases. So if we are going to take this damn movie so seriously, this movie about a doll, and we're going to talk about the Oscars in this way as like a purveyor of feminism, if we're going to do that, this Barbie discourse proves that none of you were listening or learning about intersectional feminism. Margot <laughs> lost out on her best actor 
Actress nomination, not to Ryan Gosling, but to five other women. And one of those women is Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon. And her nomination as an Indigenous American is historic. But we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the blonde woman who made a billion dollars, got nominated as a producer, and already has two Oscar noms. We're also not talking about America, the woman of color who got nominated for the same movie, or that America is in a category with two other Black women, Danielle Brooks, Davon Joy Randolph, which never happens. We're not talking about Justine Triad, a woman who was nominated for Best Director, who was nominated for Best Director. We're not talking about Celine Song or Greta Lee for Past Lives, who are actually snubbed. Hillary, we're not talking about that, are we? Kathleen has had done. Kathleen has had all her coffee this morning immediately before this conversation. I mean, like that's first of all, that's the energy I want all the time. Thank you for bringing it. <laughs> I, I, but Rachel, you know what? I am. I regret to do this to you, but I'm going to play the devil's advocate for a moment, which is to say yeah. that with all the recognition that the Barbie movie has gotten, with the nominations in the screenplay category and the best picture category, with America's nomination, there is also this contrast of the other guy, Ryan Gosling, right, um, who's a central piece of that movie as Ken, he gets nominated over Barbie in the Barbie movie. Do you see that as any kind of contradiction whatsoever? No, because the Oscars isn't about awarding a movie because it's feminist and saying, well, we should only <laughs> award the women. Like, that's not what the Oscars is about. The Oscars is meant to be the best of the best. It's supposed mm. to be the best performances of the year. Brian Gosling in the Academy's eyes had one of the best performances of the year. Yeah. As Kathleen just very eloquently said, Margot didn't lose a nomination because Ryan Gosling gained a nomination. Mm. She she didn't lose it. I'm sure she probably was like sixth place or whatever. She just didn't make the cut in a pretty competitive year. Ryan Gosling, he's in a very competitive category as well. Personally, if you, you told me to pick one performance from that movie of who I thought was the best, I would take Ryan Gosling. Ryan Sorry. Gosling. Yes. He's the one everyone was talking about after the movie. And maybe that is ironic. And I mean, it is. It's funny. haha, Whatever. But yeah. Fact is, Ryan Gosling's really good. He's Breaker High's Ryan Gosling. He's amazing. Like, come on, let's be real. Shout can out I also Breaker jump high. in on? Can I jump in on like jump Ryan in. Gosling's statement in response yeah. to that? That's where right. He, he put out a he, statement saying yeah. there would be no Barbie with there would be no Ken without Barbie without Greta without Margo. yeah yeah. But also like like a statement almost like finger wagging at the Academy, and I'm like, yeah. come on, right? Like, I mean, here's the thing. I get you want to be white knighting for your girls, and that's cool. But do it in a way where you recognize the generosity of Greta Gerwig in giving you a role like that, hmm. right? Do it in a way. If there's, I mean, if there's a flaw in Barbie, it's that the Ken character stands out. But if that's also like part of what is the best thing about the movie, recognize that Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig were generous enough to give this male character the nice storied arc of yeah. learning and all that and make your character interesting enough that it got an Oscar nomination. Do that instead of, waving your finger at you know the academy for not you know picking Margot and, and barely acknowledging america's it was like at the very oh, yeah. end it was oh, a, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it was like oh, oh yeah america, america got nominated too didn't I did she? Have to yeah, say, say that was an odd part of ryan Gosling's statement it was you this like <laughs> lovely words about greta and about Margot, and then you kind of get to the end and he's like also america was nominated isn't that great and you kind of go i would have put that in graph too personally you know what I mean? it feels like it kind of belongs slightly higher up the statement than the, than the place that it got to rad I think all this being said, we also have to acknowledge that the best directing category still kind of is a boys club, right? Like Anatomy of a Fall director, Destine Trier, she's the only woman nominated this year. She's 
only the eighth woman to be nominated mm-hmm. for Academy Award for Best Director. We are almost out of the double into the double digits. We're not even there yet. We're only at eight <laughs> um, at this point. So what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, look, obviously that situation is reflective of how historically women have not had opportunities to direct and then to direct a certain caliber. But it's also reflective of the fact that the director's branch at the Academy is a boys club, right? Because mm. it's made up of directors and that's what, it, what it's been, right? And the thing is, though, like, I mean, I have so many mixed feelings about this Greta Gerwig thing because, like, first of all, you know I don't feel aggrieved for Greta Gerwig because I didn't even like Barbie that much, right? Yeah. Like, I didn't and think you're, it was that And okay. you continue to be brave to say it. Yes, continue. I mean, like, it's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, and the thing is, though, like, I mean, on the one hand, I get when you there's this thing that you loved and you feel that someone like Greta Gerwig did something extraordinary where she took yeah. a plastic doll, pulled it out of a box, engaged people in a conversation you did not expect, engaged the whole world in that conversation, becomes a, becomes a phenomenon. You're like, why isn't she recognized yeah. when men have been recognized for less? Right. I mean, like Tom Cooper, Tom Hooper won an Oscar for directing something as basic as the King's Speech. Like, the guy who directed Cats <laughs> has a freaking best director Oscar. Unbelievable. Like, <laughs> like, the movies that you pick sometimes, I have to go like, no. you're making a great point, but why that example? <laughs> you know what I mean? You could pick Spielberg and War Horse, and you go, oh, the King's Speech. The King's Speech correct. slaps. There will be no, no disrespect no, no, no. of the King's okay, Speech in this house. Guys. No, but <laughs> here's the thing. Here's yeah, the thing. no, it's okay. true. But I, I have to correct, but here's the thing. Like, even looking at last year, the biggest movies of last year, Top Gun Maverick, Avatar 2, were not nominated for Best Director. So there is no automatic, your movie being the biggest movie of the year deserves a Best Director nomination. And if you're going to feel aggrieved that a woman missed out, where is the energy for Kelly Reichardt? Where Mm -hmm. is the energy for A.V. Rockwell? You know, where is the energy for Kelly Fremont Craig? Like, you know, those are the directors that I think truly deserve. And that's where I want to see that conversation go. I do think there's also this regular mismatch between the number of nominees for director and the the number of nominees for Best Picture, right? Like, you have 10 Best Picture nominees and you have five Best Director nominees. There are five movies on that Best Picture slate where we have to pretend like they directed themselves, even though they clearly did not. And so, like, that's how we kind of sometimes end up in this situation. I do want to do a a, a round on the snubs real quick. Uh, Maybe, Rachel, I'll start with you. What's, like, a real snub that everyone should be mad about? should be like out in the streets of it be like how dare you snub this movie i i go protesting for all of us strangers i think that that movie Let's was go. gorgeously made gorgeously yes. written gorgeously acted and it got absolutely nothing i was shocked i thought that it would make i thought andrew scott might have a shot to get in there i thought at least it would get into adapted screenplay and may, maybe Maybe Greta Gerwig took Andrew Haig's spot there. Like, who knows? That <laughs> that should be the controversy that we're talking about here. But I loved all of us strangers and I was so sad to see that it didn't get it didn't get anything. I thought it would get at least, you know, one or two nominations, but Yeah, I, listen, that, that's what I'm stomping the streets for. I I I'm there with you. I'm right there with you. Kathleen, what about you? What are you what are you mad about? Uh, a lot, clearly. No, I'm, I'm, I'm cogged down a bit. Um, and I do want to talk, we already mentioned Celine Song. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote and directed one of my favorite films of the year, Past Lives. And she is nominated for Best Original Screenplay, but she's Korean, not nominated for Canadian Best Canadian Celine Song, we should say. But yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Shout out. Um, so she's nominated for Best Original Screenplay, but not for Best Director, which I think is a snub. And then Greta Lee, the star, who was phenomenal and acted circles around Margot Robbie. I think Margot Robbie's great in Barbie. But if we're going to go... Who's taken whose nominations? I think Greta Lee was snubbed and is incredible. And then 
you know, I love my cousin in my head, Fantasia Barino, who I said on this podcast gave one of the most beautiful performances I have ever seen on screen in The Color Purple. Yes. She was also not, not nominated and she deserved. No, 100%. Um, I also like the idea that like you're you're protesting against this notion of, you know, they give us these nominations and then we fight and go like, well, this person stole this person's nomination when really we should be, I don't know, taking the whole system down. That's, that's where we should be going <laughs> I do, That's I usually agree with that. And I'm usually like kind of anti-snub. Yeah. Except for, you know, some when it's Oscar here. so white, you know, all that. But uh, here I, I'm fired up. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that for us. Rad, what about you? What's a snub for you? Well, first of all, I have the opposite response of Kathleen, whereas I think this whole Barbie discourse killed the the, the whole idea of snubs for me now, and I can't be mangry about anything <laughs> anymore. Like, I just, I can't snubs work are up over. The anymore. They're canceled. Like, snubs yeah. are over. We're canceling snubs. Um, but, you know, look, like, for me, I mean, I've been a diehard for Rachel McAdams this whole award season for Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I've been yes. a diehard for that movie all year. I think that movie makes it look real easy, and it's really moving. Um, and Rachel McAdams also always makes it look easy and so that's the one where i felt like aggrieved if we're gonna feel if we're gonna have feelings but also like i mean the bigger snub sorry can i just take like the bigger snub here is may december which is yes. you know by and far shut one out. of the best Complete movies of the shut year out of one of the yeah. best for, for one of the best movies of the year yes but i also yeah. love that it's been shut out because it's basically like it was so effective that the academy's like yo are we, are, they, are, we feel caught you know what i mean like, it's like that, the way we are predatory and we tell stories we are very predatory when we don't want to tell stories about trauma so we can pop up our opportunities for performances i feel like it was snubbed on across the board because of that and also i don't expect much for todd haynes in terms of academy awards because like you know unless he's making Making a period piece Douglas Sirk homage, he doesn't get Academy Award nominations. I mean, the one nomination that May December has is one more than Safe got. So, <laughs> well, I, I think we should also say, tell people that like May December, the context here is this is a movie about an artist's desire to basically um, mine for parts real life people's traumas mm-hmm. in order to sort of, you know, raise their own profile as an artist. Exactly. If there is, I mean, like that's as a statement and as a movie. That is an indictment of the entire institution, right? Like, there's an yeah. indictment of the entire sort of artistic process. Rachel, were you surprised to see uh, May, December not get anything at all? Yes, I really thought it was getting in for at minimum acting. I didn't think Todd Haynes had a shot in hell for directing, but yeah. I thought that. Who do you think was going to get it for acting? Did, I thought you... Julianne Moore. I thought she, and then I know Charles Melton. I was on the Charles Melton train. Too, yes, but I I would have loved to see him get one, but I was more surprised to see. Julianne Moore didn't get it. And when America Ferrera got nominated, I went, oh, that's that's nice. And I went, but who got left off? And I was like, oh, shit, it was, it was Julianne Moore got left <laughs> off, which is fine. I mean, that's, you know, whatever. But I, yeah. I was pretty surprised about that. Hey, I'm journalist Sam Sanders. I'm poet Saeed Jones. And I'm producer Zach Stafford. And we are the hosts of a podcast called Vibe Check. On Vibe Check, we talk about everything. News, culture, and entertainment, and how it all feels. That's right. We talk about any and everything on our show from real life issues like grief to music and movie critiques. And that barely scratches the surface. Yes, indeed. And it doesn't stop there. We have got a lot to say. So join our group chat. Come to life. Follow and listen to Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
folks who are just joining us, my name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. This show is called Commotion. The group chat is here. We're talking about some of the big stories this week. We're going to shift gears, all right? We're going to talk about a new show on Amazon Prime. It's called Expats. It's set in Hong Kong. Take a listen. Don't you ever miss it, home? I like our life here. <laughs> the help the drivers makes everything easier. I see his family. You know you always say that, right? You're her employer, not her friend. You know, Hong Kong was supposed to be a fresh start for me. A fresh start, really? At 24? That is from the trailer of Expats. It stars the one and only Nicole Kidman. It's with Lulu Wong as director and writer on the series. The first two episodes are out now on Amazon Prime. Kathleen, you just heard a bit of that trailer with each of the three women who lead the show. Can you just, like... Set the premise for us. What is the show about? Yeah, so it's about three American women expats living in Hong Kong, and they're each, you know, dealing with their own personal demons. Nicole Kidman, Soraya Blue, uh, Ji Young Yu, they play these women, and they all play them really, really expertly. I think that Nicole Kidman is going to get the shine for her acting in this, but Soraya Blue and Ji Young Yu are both incredible. And while their stories are intertwined by a tragedy at the show center, and you learn quickly that this tragedy is a missing child, mm. um, but they each are on the verge of their kind of own emotional breakdowns for different reasons. So yeah, the show is about Americans living in Hong Kong and the, the privilege, the messiness, the complications that come with being expats. And it's kind of the latest in this long line of prestige TV about uh, privileged women. I, uh, if you're going to make prestige TV about, about privileged women, the first person you call is Nicole Kidman. He's got to be the first person on the call sheet. <laughs> Everyone else fills themselves out accordingly, but that's the first person that you call. Uh, Rachel, when Lulu Wong and Nicole Kidman showed up in Hong Kong to film the show, they got a lot of backlash. What was the criticism there? What's the story behind the criticism that they got? So when they went in to start filming, it was 2021. So Hong Kong was still dealing with COVID. I mean, everybody was still dealing with COVID, but it was yeah. pretty bad in Hong Kong at the time. There were a lot of restrictions. People couldn't leave. People couldn't get in. People were like, listen, with everything going on, and then on top of that, add in the political turmoil that um, that territory is was going through and is still going through today. They were like, do we really need to see the way white people live in Hong Kong? I don't know <laughs> if that's something that is necessary. I don't yeah. know if that was kind of timely for them at the moment. Um, and then on top of that, Nicole Kidman, who played a v- disturbingly well at playing a very <laughs> annoying foreign white woman in Hong Kong. Um, she got exempted from the restrictions from when she uh, flew into Hong Kong. So that oh, wow. was quite annoying for a lot of people who wanted to go see their families in Hong Kong or wanted to leave. So there was a lot of that going on. Well, I'm not going to lie to you, though. If I was going to make a show about the privilege of those expats, and this was <laughs> something that came up in the process of making the show... I would, if I was making that show, incorporate that into the show in some kind of way. Did Lulu Wong, in your opinion, respond to this in any kind of way within the show's context? I don't know if she necessarily responded directly to that specific issue, but I think that the show is a lot more nuanced than people were expecting. It is not glamorizing, you know, the way the expats live. It is, in fact, kind of skewering for their lifestyle amid everything else that is going on in Hong Kong and also showing different layers as well. You know, you have one character, Mercy, she's she would be what we consider an immigrant, not an expat. You know, she's Korean American. She's in there. She's not living on the peak. She's not living that great lifestyle. So I do think that she did a good job of 
not just saying we're going to show a bunch of fun white people, you know, on yachts all day and doing the junk boat tours and things like that. <laughs> I think the show was a lot more nuanced than people expected. And yeah. in that way, I think she responded well. Rad, I think we got to talk about Lulu Wong for a moment because Lulu Wong is kind of best known for the movie The Farewell. Um, it's a movie that made a lot of, created a lot of conversation, you know, got Lulu really, um, I think like people are like, Pay attention to Lulu Wong's work. How does that sensibility, you think, show up in this in this in the show? Does it show well, up? You know, I mean, I think both the farewell and expats are about feeling kind of doubly alienated, right? Mm. Alienated in this space that you're in in Hong Kong or whatnot, but also alienated within your own family. And that's so that's like expats is very much about that. I think, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hot and cold on, on Lulu Wong at moments. Like I think sometimes like some of the dialogue can be cringy. Some of the emo big emotional scenes can be over the top. It didn't, don't necessarily work for me, but I love her in the kind of quieter moments where she's feeling out the rhythms between characters and the rhythms and like kind of like the tenure yeah. that characters have between spaces and i needed that in this movie especially or this show especially because like you're dealing with a show where there's child a child in peril and that's i i typically hate that like i that that's hard for me to watch children in peril yeah. if you're doing that just to give become a showcase for your actors or showcase for your directors like this show reminds me of 21 grams in ways which was just like trauma porn to like you know squeeze every ounce of emotion out of me uh so you could show off your actors and your directing that this uh, thankfully this doesn't become that right mm. thankfully this is much more about how these women are responding to their environment how they're responding to their situation how they're responding to each other and in the quieter moments you feel their loneliness and their isolation as 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 a, uh, because of the space that they're in and the space that they're in emotionally uh, we should say Rachel that the show takes place in 2014 the umbrella movement is taking place in the background these were the the mass protests in Hong Kong in response to the Chinese government's decision to uh, allow elections in the region, but only with a pre-approved list of candidates. Thousands of protesters showed up with umbrellas, and the umbrellas were to protect themselves from tear gas. How does expats reflect that umbrella movement, do you think? What do you make of Lula Wong's approach to handling the umbrella movement? I found it fascinating. So Lula Wong, she's she's born in Beijing, and then she event, her family eventually immigrated to uh, the States. But I didn't know how she was going to address it, if she was going to address it at all. And I personally... Mm. I wouldn't have faulted her for not addressing it because hmm. it's an incredibly prickly issue. I don't know if she has family in in mainland China still, but that usually kind of factors in to whether or not anybody you decide to take a stance on it because it can become actually dangerous, like literally dangerous. So I was impressed that she even had it in the background for the first you know few episodes. It's kind of in the newsreels behind the characters as they're moving along and you see it in the streets, you see, you know, traffic gets blocked up because of protests and things like that. But then the penultimate episode of the entire series, uh, which is called Central, they actually go really deep mm. into that. And they show they show how difficult it was for young people and for their parents as well, though, to to send their kids off, but also saying they wanted to stand for something because if they didn't stand for it, then how were they going to tell their kids later down the line um, that this momentous part of their history as Hong Kong people, they just sat back and let other people do the work for them. So I was incredibly impressed. I was, I appreciate it a lot. I thought I just, and I wasn't expecting it in the slightest from her. I, Not I, in a bad way. I shouldn't say that in like, a, oh, I didn't think she'd be good enough. But I yeah. just did, I didn't, I wouldn't have faulted her, as I said. I appreciate you bringing that up because I think like I am not as far along in the series as you are. Um, and so from what I've seen so far, it's building steadily. Like, for example, I I don't know if I would have been hooked on the show from the pilot, but mm -hmm. I really like I really um, 
feel good about giving it a shot in terms of going to the second episode because like that's really when it began to grab me. So it, it seems to be a show that kind of steadily builds. Listen, we got a couple of minutes left. I want some recommendations from each of you before we go. Something for this weekend. What should I be reading, watching, listening to? Uh, Kathleen, why don't you kick us off? Uh, well, Rad mentioned A.V. Rockwell, who directed 1001. Um, and this is another thing that I think is snubbed by the Academy. And so I'm sure, I hope you have heard of this movie by now, but I need to say, please watch 1001 if you haven't. It stars Tiana Taylor, who gives the performance of a lifetime, her first performance ever. Um, and it's on Prime Video. So, yeah please. And this is an incredible black woman director and black star. And it did not make a billion dollars, but it does still deserve your time. It's going to make you cry. Rad, what about is, you? Yeah. What, what is, what, what's your recommendation? Um, I would head to the theaters right now and watch the teacher's lounge, which has just been nominated for in the foreign film Oscar category. And in fact, like I think it has a shout at winning over even zone of interest, which, you know, is one of my favorite movies of the year. Yeah. Only because it's, it's an easier movie to enjoy. It is really gripping, gripping. It's, it's really thrilling. It's about a teacher basically walking a tightrope as teachers often do. She's trying to suss out what is going on in terms of these accusations of people stealing in the schoolroom and everything in, in, in the classroom and everything she does just seems to make it worse. And it pits her against like her fellow the colleagues or the administration, the parents and the students. Yeah. Um, it's basically uncut gems in an elementary school. Okay, so <laughs> okay, that's the most stressful pitch I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it is exactly. I'm in. That, that sounds terrific. Uh, Rachel, thirty seconds to you. I'm going to throw it to a book and say I've been reading Anne Margaret's memoir of all people, uh, and I found it to be shockingly and surprisingly incredibly inspiring. I think I didn't know her life was the way it was. She dealt with issues of alcohol um, abuse and also abuse from her manager, too. So I, I've just found it such a compelling read and a star that was very popular in her day. But I don't know if she's really kind of endured as well as I, I, I think she should. I love that Rachel's like, you know what? I read. That's uh, I'm, I'm, I'm better than all of you. We got to leave it there. But Rachel, Rad, Kathleen, Newman, thank you so much for your time, y'all. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. And that is it for the show today. But listen, before we go, now is the time that I get to tell you about the incredible folks who help get the show on the air. Commotion is produced this week by Stuart Berman, Ty Callender, Amelia Ekbal, Jane Vancouverden. Our intern is Shanna Williamson. Our digital producers are Eva Drew and Shuli Grossman-Gray. Our directors this week are Danielle Grogan and Jane Vancouverden. Our engineer is Sam Hashmi. The senior producer of the show is John Perry. And McKeegan is the executive producer. And my name is Alameda. Hey, I'm going to be here next week. I sure hope to see you then. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.